Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. So you can begin looking that up now. And while you're getting that ready, I'll pray, asking God to bless us as we read and consider his word, read the passage, and then we'll go to the children's talk. So if you have children, make sure they're listening. Then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's pray. Our generous and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Without you speaking to us in this way, we'd be left in the dark, unsure what is from you and what's just our imagination. We could never know you truly unless you'd spoken to us. And so we pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom to understand and to love you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's read Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now it's over to the children's talk. Hi everyone, I'm here with two of my kids, Kai and Hannah. Say hi guys. Hi. Alright, we are getting close to Christmas. And so what I thought we'd do is we would read a story to get ready for Christmas. How does that sound? Good. Yeah. So what I have here is a story called The Promise. The amazing story of our long-awaited saviour. And that's written by Jason Helopoulos, and it's illustrated, or the drawings, are by Romel Ruiz. Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, looks pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah. So let's have a look. And to the people on the radio listening, you'll need to use your imaginations for the story. All right. In the beginning, 
God was there. And God created the heavens and the earth. On the very first day, God separated the light from the darkness. The light he called day, and the darkness he called night. On the second day, God created the heavens in the midst of the waters, and God separated the heavens from the waters. On the third day, God gathered the seas together, and he made the dry land appear. And God made all the plants and trees and vegetation, and God saw that it was good. On the fourth day, God made the sun and the moon and the stars, the sun and the moon to rule over the day and the night. And God saw that it was good. On the fifth day, God made all the birds filling the sky. And God filled the seas with fish and great creatures, and God blessed them. On the sixth day, God made the earth bring forth every kind of living creature, livestock and creeping things, and all the beasts of the earth. Then God created man and woman in his own image, more prized than the tall trees, the beautiful flowers, the powerful beasts, even the great sea creatures and stars in the sky, for God created man and woman alone in his image. This man and woman enjoyed the earth with God. In fact, they were friends with God. They walked with him in the cool of the day. And God saw everything he made. He saw that everything was good. In fact, it was very good. Until it wasn't. Oh, what are they doing there? Sinning. Yeah, how are they sinning? Eating the fruit. Yeah, eating the fruit that they were told not to eat. And you can see the snake is right there as well. The worst of all days came. A day angels could not have imagined. A day mankind has forever regretted. A day only God could save us from. That day a serpent came with a lying tongue, and the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, listened to this lying serpent. They listened to his lies and believed him instead of God, and they sinned against God, losing everything. Mankind lost holiness. Mankind lost righteousness. Mankind lost life. But worst of all, no longer could people be with God. No longer was God their friend, because they chose not to trust God. But God gave mankind a promise. And what a great promise it was, the promise of salvation. He promised that one would come who would crush the head of the lying serpent, one who would deliver mankind from their sin, one who would restore man and woman's relationship with God. Oh, do you see that? It's a picture of some sort of a man and his head is on the serpent's, his foot is on the serpent's head. Who will this one be? Maybe a really good man can save us. A really good man like Noah. 
whom God saved from the flood so that he and his family could once again fill the earth with people. But Noah emerged from the ark and almost immediately sinned against God. We see that not even a really good man like Noah can save us. Maybe a great man of faith can save us. A great man of faith like Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. But Abraham feared other men and lied about Sarah, calling her his sister and not his wife. We see that not even a faith-filled man like Abraham can save us. Maybe a great prophet can save us, a great prophet like Moses, who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. But Moses lacked faith, striking the rock twice and disobeying God. We see that not even a great prophet like Moses can save us. Maybe a great conqueror can save us, a great conqueror like Joshua, who led the people into the land. But Joshua didn't conquer as he was told, and left rebellious people in the land. We see that not even a great conqueror like Joshua can save us. Maybe a great judge can save us, a great judge like Samson, who delivered the people from their enemies. But Samson gave his heart to a woman over God. We see that not even a great judge like Samson can save us. Maybe a great king can save us, a king like Saul, who was stronger and taller than all the other men. But Saul was gripped by pride. He did not seek God's glory, only his own. We see that not even a great king like Saul can save us. Maybe a man after God's own heart can save us, a man like David, who loved and worshipped God. But David sinned a great sin with a woman named Bathsheba. We see that not even a man after God's own heart, like David, can save us. Maybe a great priest can save us, a priest like Eli, who could speak to God for mankind. But Eli didn't care well for his own children, who turned from the Lord, so how could he care for God's people? We see that not even a great priest like Eli can save us. If no mere man or woman can save us, then maybe trusting in other things can. Some tried to obey the law of God, all his Ten Commandments and even more, but they could not keep his law perfectly. Not even trying to obey the law of God perfectly can save us. Maybe the sacrifices required by the law could save them from their sins. But even though they brought animals to sacrifice, it never really seemed to cover their sin. Not even the blood of bulls and goats can save us. All seemed lost. Who or what can save us? 400 years of silence, and then God broke the silence. A child was born, Emmanuel, God with us. He was given the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. In this child, the promise came. He was the one who would crush the head of the serpent, deliver mankind from their sin, grant them his righteousness, work in them his holiness, give them his life. But best of all, he secured his people's relationship with God. 
Once again, people could be with God forever. God would be their friend. There has never been and never shall be a saviour like this. He is unlike any other man or woman who came before. Jesus is the perfect righteous man. Jesus is the perfect prophet of God. Jesus is the perfect faith-filled man. Jesus is the perfect conqueror. Jesus is the perfect judge. Jesus is the perfect king. Jesus is the perfect man after God's own heart. Jesus is the perfect great priest. Jesus is the perfect law keeper. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect offering to God. Jesus was and is the promised one, the perfect one, the one who would not and could not sin, the one great saviour of men and women. Do you know this promised one? Have you trusted in him so that you are friends with God? And that's the question that the book leaves us with. That's the question that Christmas leaves us with. Are we friends with God? And so let's pray and ask God to be our friend. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have loved us and that even though we are turned against you, we are turned away from you, that you sent your son Jesus, that he is Emmanuel, God with us, that he came, he was born as a baby, and he grew up and went to the cross so that we could be friends with you. And so we pray that you would forgive us for our sin and truly make us your friends. May we uh, love you with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, knowing that you have loved us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mary, did you know? It's the Christmas song which appears regularly in the major carols events. It's the kind of song which requires a trained singer. The notes you need to reach at some points are pretty difficult. One thing I love about the the carols, the, the Christian ones anyway, is that every year, for a few months, people are hearing about Jesus. They know these songs. They hear about Jesus and what he was born to do. Mary Did You Know asks the question, Mary... What did you know about the child you'd give birth to? You had an angel appear and give you the surprising news that you'd be pregnant without the help of a man. You were given some information about him, but what did you know? What did you expect? It's all very well and good for us to look on this side of the event and know what's going to happen. To look back at the Old Testament and see that various aspects of his Life, ministry, death and resurrection were being predicted. But how much did Mary know ahead of time? When you have children, you have hopes and dreams for them. Usually they're pretty vague in the beginning. But they start to grow and sharpen as you slowly get to know this child given to you. And so the question is, Mary, did you know? Did you know when you kissed your little baby? You kissed the face of God. There's one thing that she clearly knew about this baby, and it's something we all need to remember as Christmas comes upon us. And it's a reality just as true for us as it was 2,000 years ago. 
Mary knew, as we should, that the heavenly king is coming. In verses 26 to 33, the angel Gabriel arrives to tell Mary about the coming heavenly king, about her child. And it's here the angel answers our question, what child is this? We've dived into this story partway through chapter 1. Like Mary, we haven't seen or heard what happened in Jerusalem at the temple six months ago. We didn't see the elderly Zechariah be told by the angel Gabriel that his elderly and barren wife would have a child, that she'd be just like Sarah about 2,000 years earlier. No, like Mary, we're in the dark. Have a look at verses 26 to 27 and appreciate just how incredible a change this is. We've gone from a priest who is in Jerusalem, in the very heart of the temple, the centre of the life of the nation and their religion. And now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. From Jerusalem to Nazareth in in Galilee, a dodgy town in a despised region. From a priest to a simple betrothed virgin. Do you think the angel was looking around at the dirt and squalor? Was he silently judging the the decor of, of Mary's home, wrinkling his nose at the smell, wishing he could be back in the temple with the sweet smelling incense, or better yet, back in heaven where he didn't need to worry himself with the pollution of sin? No, this isn't some Hollywood diva clutching her pearls at the sight of a cow patty. This is a warrior and a messenger of the Lord God Almighty. This angel doesn't judge by the outward appearance. The temple, renovated by Herod the Great, called by some the eighth wonder of the ancient world, that didn't awe him. But no doubt the message he brought to Mary did. And we could spend time thinking about how Mary must have felt, but she's not the focus of these verses. The one at the centre of the angel's message is... Which is why he says in verse 28, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. She's favoured, she's received grace from God, because though there's nothing in her which means she deserves this honour, she'll be the most blessed woman in history. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What child is this? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. This has become familiar to us, But just think for a moment. Ask yourself, how could this be? How could the long-awaited king be born to a woman living in Nazareth? 
Mary was no princess or queen. She had no riches. She was young, unmarried, poor. Yes, she was betrothed to someone from David's line, and she was probably from David's line too, but that didn't mean much. For a long time, that family had been obscure and unimportant. The glory days of King David were far behind them. There was no trust account for her to, to draw on, no stocks she'd inherited. She was a nobody. And yet the king would enter the world through her. Who could have expected that? In 2007, the Washington Post organised for award-winning violinist Joshua Bell to play in a subway station. He played for 45 minutes, played six classical pieces, two of them by Bach. On a violin, he'd apparently paid $3.5 million for. It was a free concert, and thousands went past. The occasional person paused for a moment. He made $32.17 in tips. But there was no applause. No one willing to give up their plans because they had the chance to experience a beauty they'd never experienced before. The 45 minutes is sped up into a video of about two and a half minutes. You see Bell playing and people rushing past. But suddenly, a woman stops. She stands there while hundreds hurry past. She knows him. At the end, we discover she's heard him play before, and at this free concert, she was willing to miss who knows how many trains and who knows what appointment. You'd never expect a virtuoso to play in a subway station, and you'd never expect the king to come to a woman in Nazareth. But he did. And this king, to be called Jesus, will be great. The greatest to ever walk the dusty streets of Israel, to ever walk on the earth, period. He'll be the son of the Most High. But what does that mean, being the son of the Most High? Mormons, or as they like to be called now, the Latter-day Saints, believe this is physical. That the Heavenly Father had sexual union with the Heavenly Mother, producing spirit babies, and the firstborn of those is Jesus. We're all children of God through that union, and so Jesus is our big brother, and he was sent to earth as a man to rescue his siblings, though we have to work hard to be saved too. And where do they get these ideas? Certainly not from Jesus, who says that God is spirit. What would Mary have thought when she first heard that he would be the son of the Most High? Would her mind immediately have understood him to be God? Well, not necessarily. We need to slow down and remember that the Old Testament calls a few people the son of God. God called Israel his son when telling Pharaoh through Moses to let his people go. And most helpful for us now is God calling David his son and all the kings from him. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Josiah, Hezekiah, Ahaz, they were all sons of God because they were all kings from David's line. Jesus would be the king. 
but not just another king from David's family. The king was coming, the ultimate king, with the ultimate kingdom, the kingdom which would never end. The Egyptian kingdom ended, and today you'd be lucky to know the names of two or three pharaohs. The Babylonian empire is gone, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, their empires ended, and they were the world empires. How long will it be before the British Kingdom is gone, before the United States of America are a vague memory in the pages of history? But Jesus would be the king over God's kingdom, which will never end. He will always be on the throne. His greatness will never end. The the nations will bring their riches to him in honour. Gabriel came to Mary with a message. What did Mary know? What child is this? This is Christ, the King. The King is coming. And now Gabriel's given that information about the coming King, Mary's thoughts become much more practical. She knows how birds have babies and how bees have babies. She knows how women have babies. And she hasn't done what's required. And as Gabriel answers the how question, he tells us more about this coming king. In verses 34 to 38, we learn we should hail the incarnate deity. Mary asks, how will this be in verse 34? And we'd all be asking that in her shoes, wouldn't we? We saw in verse 27, she's betrothed to Joseph. Back then, betrothal was something between being married and our engagement. It was a legal relationship, and you could say they were married, but there was no conjugal union. It took divorce to get out of a betrothal. She's betrothed, still a virgin, and the way Gabriel is speaking makes her think this child isn't coming sometime down the road. This is going to be immediate. And so, how, she asks. To understand how incredible Mary's faith is at this point, we need to compare her to Zechariah six months before. He's told that Elizabeth, his elderly and barren wife, was going to have a son. And not just any son, but the one predicted, who'd come in the spirit and power of Elijah, preparing the people for the greater one to come. And he asks in Luke 1, verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Do you see the difference? Mary asks how, since she's a virgin. Zechariah asks how he can know it. Mary's wanting to know the mechanics. Zechariah's wanting to know how he can trust the angel. The lowly girl in the despised town of Nazareth shows more faith than the esteemed priest in the temple. It reminds me of Shasta in The Horse and His Boy, one of the Narnia books. Shasta is the adopted son of a lowly fisherman, worked like a dog in the cruel country of Kalorman. He and a talking warhorse from Narnia called Bree, who'd been captured as a foal, are on their way to freedom in Narnia. On the way, they came across another talking horse from Narnia, Huin, 
and a high-bred Kalorman girl called Avarice, who's desperate to flee to Narnia to escape an arranged marriage. Towards the end, there's some high drama as a lion starts chasing them. Shasta is on Bree, the warhorse, and Bree is so terrified, he left Huynh and Aravis behind. The lion takes a swipe at Aravis, and she cries out in pain as his claws scrape her back. Shasta tries to get Bree to turn around, but he can't hear anything because of his fear. So Shasta jumps off Bree and rushes at the lion, who strangely runs away. Afterwards, Bree and Aravis are amazed. Shasta was the lowly adopted son and slave of a fisherman. They were both noble in their own way, but Shasta was the best of them. And Mary, the lowly maiden in Nazareth, shows greater faith than the priest Zechariah. How will this be? And so the angel answers, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Remember what I said earlier about Son of God, not necessarily meaning God, but it usually means the Davidic king. Now, Gabriel is making it clear that there's something special about this baby, more than simply his position as king. It'll take the rest of Luke to flesh out what it means, but he won't be conceived the normal way. This will be supernatural, an act of the Holy Spirit's power. And that means the child will be holy. See, Son of God doesn't always mean God the Son. We need to be careful about reading our theology into the story when that meaning isn't what was meant in every case. But Gabriel's filling out our understanding of who this baby is, a supernatural conception brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does this all mean? That we should hail the incarnate deity. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Son really did take on flesh and enter a virgin's womb. The second person of the Trinity became a single-celled organism, and that cell divided, and those cells divided. God truly was here. The heavenly King was coming, just like Gabriel said. There are sceptics out there who argue that Jesus wasn't considered to be God until a few centuries after his death. They argue he didn't claim to be God. The New Testament doesn't present him as God. It was because the myth of Jesus grew and grew after his death that suddenly we think that he was God become flesh. But Luke was written probably between AD 60 and 85. That's only 30 to 55 years after Jesus' death. That's not enough time for a myth of that magnitude to slowly develop and be accepted by the masses. The reality is, while it's not spelled out by Luke here, like we in our 21st century minds expect it to be, Luke paints the picture of who Jesus is. And he starts with the virgin birth, produced by the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. There's no crass sexual relationship 
like was the common story with the Greek and Roman gods, who produced all those demigods like Hercules. This coming king was God incarnate, God become man. For centuries, God's people had been promised that God was coming to rescue his people and that he'd be sending David or a son of David. And in Jesus, they've come together. As we prepare for Christmas and we remember this announcement to Mary that Gabriel told Mary that the heavenly king is coming, we need to realise that this news wasn't just earth-shattering back then. It shatters our world and our lives even now. It shatters the world because Jesus is great in a way completely foreign to all of history. How did Jesus achieve his greatness? Not by gathering an army and sparking a rebellion. No, the greatness of this heavenly king was achieved in his humility, in his service, in his obedience to the Father, going to the cross to die for sinners like Mary, sinners like you and like me. Mary herself sings in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. The reason we worship and rejoice at Christmas isn't just because a baby was born. We rejoice and give gifts and sing carols because that baby, God in the flesh, grew up to go to the cross. That sinless man, made incarnate by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, offered himself as a sacrifice through the Spirit and was raised by the Spirit. At Christmas, our joy is made full because we remember Easter and that Jesus is our only hope, our only Saviour. Only through this coming heavenly King could we know peace with God forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Through this coming king's death, the penalty of our sin was paid. And the heavenly king is still coming. Yes, he came all those years ago, nine months after the announcement. But since then, he died, rose, ascended to heaven, and for 2,000 years, we've been waiting for him to return. Jesus told parables to prepare his people for the wait. He told of a king going off to a far country and his servants not knowing when he would return and the importance of being ready. Are you ready for Jesus' return? This season is called Advent, which means coming. The king who came will come again. Not to die, but to reign, to judge, to bring the fullness of his kingdom, where all the opposition to him is crushed and every stain of sin is exposed and judged, and the world restored and glorified better than it's ever been before. A world where his people only know joy, where the tears are wiped away from their eyes and all the hardship endured for him is rewarded, By his grace. We ask the question, Mary, did you know? When asked, what child is this? Could she say, this is Christ the King? Could she say, hail the incarnate deity? 
She might not have had the full picture, but she certainly had something. But that's not the important question. The important question is, do you know? Are you rushing through life, only giving a passing glance to Jesus, like the crowds barely glancing at the virtuoso, giving a free concert with his multi-million dollar violin? Or are you willing to stop and adore, to bask in the music, bask in the king who left his throne in heaven to save you? Will you take the time this Christmas to pause in the hustle and bustle, rejoicing in the gospel of God's grace, the cross of the king which saves sinners, and anticipating the coming of our heavenly king? Let's pray. King of kings and Lord of lords, we rejoice in the coming of our king. How we long to love him rightly, to rejoice in a way that truly honours him. But we know that anything we offer falls far short. He is the incarnate deity, God in the flesh, offspring of the virgin's womb. How can we fully grasp the wonder of this event, the wonder of this reality. He truly is King, and we worship Him. This Christmas, help us to remember that Jesus was born to die for us. He came, God and man, to suffer in our place, that we could be adopted as your own. May we stop and adore him, and remember the glory of his person and the wonder of his sacrifice as we wait in eagerness for his coming. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love you to join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.